What's doing, everybody? Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for stopping by. Let's be honest, getting a family dog is one of the most exciting times for any family, but it can also turn into a nightmare and a disaster very quickly if you cannot get the dog potty trained. It goes all over the house. It starts chewing up everything in sight. The kids love the dog for the first 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden they drop it like a wet towel, and who ends up walking the dog every day? Pop. Dad is out there picking up after the dog and walking him. So how can we prevent so many of the things that go wrong for so many families when they get their puppy into the house? Well, today's guest, Garrett Wing, is joining me on the podcast today. He is the founder and CEO of American Standard Dog Training. Garrett is one of the top dog trainers. He teaches people to train their own dogs with tactics from his 18 years as a police canine handler and a lifetime of living and working with dogs. Uh, Garrett has revolutionized the dog training world with his blend of hands-on experience from almost two decades as a police canine handler and a lifetime alongside canines. He's not just teaching commands, he's shaping relationships between humans and dogs. Now, Garrett was working as a police officer when he sidestepped into this business that has now become a very, very successful business, and he has grown on social media like wildfire. He's got over 5 million followers on social media. He knows what he's doing, and this month, it happens to be Dog Training Education Month. If there was such a thing, it's this month of February, okay? So if you're having trouble and you want to learn about potty training your dog, getting your dog to socialize more, crate training... Garrett Wing is your man. You've got to check out his website, American Standard Dog Training. We're going to talk all about that and so much more. I'm excited to have him on the podcast today. For you dog lovers out there, you're going to love this one. All right, so Garrett Wing is going to be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And if you guys missed out on my Super Bowl Media Day coverage, flip it back one episode. And by the way, welcome to you guys watching this live on Rumble. Uh, This from now on, this is where you're going to get the episodes first. I'm slowly moving my platform over here to Rumble using the Rumble Studio and putting my episodes over here first. So if you're not watching on Rumble, get over to Rumble. Follow First Class Fatherhood. If you've been a longtime listener on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, come on over. Subscribe to the channel right here on Rumble. This is where I'm going to go first with all my episodes. I did it with my Super Bowl Media Day episode, and it was a banger for me. Las Vegas did a really, really great job. I had a chance to talk to Kansas City Chiefs kicker Harrison Bucker. What an example of a first-class father, a man of faith. He now holds the record for the longest field goal in Super Bowl history. I had a chance to speak with him. Uh, Many of the other players at at the game, Christian McCaffrey, talked to him about his father. Same with Nick Bosa. Uh, So players from both sides of the team, some of the coaches as well, all about fatherhood, all about family life, all about faith. You guys know the drill. This was my sixth episode, or sixth time, I should say, being invited by the NFL to go check out and bring first-class fatherhood to the event. So if you missed it, It's right here. If you're on Rumble, it's the previous episode. Just flip it back once. Don't forget to follow the channel here. And so it was pretty cool for me to actually be out there in Las Vegas. Now, you got to remember, for those of you who don't know and you're maybe watching this for the first time on Rumble, uh, I am a recovering alcoholic, recovering addict, recovering gambling, just nut job. These are the things that used to control my life. And so to be out there in Vegas, not feel any temptation, not feel any desire to take part in the things that I was a slave to for most of my life was a blessing from God. All right, and also a part of my history, too, is I was once arrested and given a lifetime ban from Giant Stadium, right? Things were out of control for me. Fast forward, the NFL continues to invite me now to come to the Super Bowl and partake in Media Day and interview players about fatherhood, family life, and faith, something that's so important to me. So that's kind of a little bit of the turnaround of what has happened in my own life, and that is through 
uh, my relationship with God. He has been good to me, and he will be good to you as well. So I, I, I got to do I've done one before about alcoholism. I think I need to do another episode here just to revamp uh, on addictions with drugs, alcohol, gambling, and the whole bit. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to work on something and put something together soon. But today, all about the dog training. If you're a dog lover, you're going to love it. If not, share this episode with somebody in your family or a friend that maybe just got a puppy because Garrett Wing is going to give you the knowledge. This guy's been living and breathing it his entire life. And I would suggest, if you are interested, flip it back to my interview that I did with Navy SEAL, a canine guy, Mike Ritlin. I did a couple of interviews with him here on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, He had some great advice as well. But we're going to jump into this right now. If you could, please help me spread the word about today's podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it every day is Father's Day right here on the podcast. Here comes my interview straight up with Garrett Wing on First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Joining me now, First Class Father, Garrett Wing. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Let's start it like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I have two daughters, Aria and Alora, and they are seven and five years old. Wow, very cool. Uh, are we all done there? Are we trying to get the boy now in the mix? No, it's because uh, due to my past, uh, well, I know we, we talk about it a lot. My wife and I joke. I'll just keep cranking out girls because of how I was as a young man, I think is what's that's what's in store for me. But uh, we're really happy with just the two girls love them. And um, I think it's hard enough as it is to give them the attention they need just the two of them. Yeah, well said. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if it's the same for police. Um, uh, yeah, I do a lot of interviews with the Navy SEALs and they uh, they call it the frogman curse. So many of them have all girls. It's amazing how many of them actually uh, end up popping out just girl after girl. So I don't know if that's similar with the police or not, but uh, that's the way it works, seems to be with them. Could be, could be. I think there's <laughs> something there. Uh, if you could, Garrett, please just take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in a law enforcement family, meaning my father, my mother, my stepfather, and my stepmother were all police officers with the City of Miami Police Department. I knew at a young age that's what I wanted to do. So at the age of 20 years old, I became a police officer also. And kind of my claim to fame or what my whole family was into was police canine work. So at one point, my father, my stepmother, and myself were all all police canine handlers for the same agency. And uh, eventually, I rose through the ranks and became a lieutenant with that agency, worked on a lot of different units. Uh, and at some point, I started building, around the last four years of my career, I started building a small, at the time, board and train uh, dog training operation for pet dogs because I was doing... Uh, law enforcement canine training, and then we had a small business doing uh, police canine training across the country, training police officers and their dogs how to be better uh, on their mission so they don't get killed, frankly. And even though that was a lot of fun and we still do that, there's not a lot of money in it. And so a lot of people were aware of the business we were doing, aware of my background. And what we found was for every police dog that needs training, there's probably 10,000 pet dogs that need training. And so we were just getting bombarded with like, well, can you train this and can you train that? And I thought, well, I don't want to water down my brand training high-speed police dogs and Malinois and German Shepherds training your poodle. But push came to shove and I took on my first pet client and that's been all she wrote. And so now I've built up a 
a seven figure business training dogs uh, in the pet industry. And again, we still do the law enforcement stuff, but that's more for fun at this point. And so now we have online courses where we teach folks across the globe how to train their dogs to be the best that they can be. And we also have what I believe to be the best premium VIP board and train program anywhere in the world. And so it's myself and we got a small handful of certified trainers that provide boarding and training uh, for select clientele, celebrities, uh, pro athletes, et cetera. Yeah, it's amazing what you've created and congratulations on all your success. And I'm going to circle back to the dog training in just a second here, but take me back if you could then about, I guess you said seven years. Um, how old were you then when you first became a father and where were you at in your career and how did that experience change your perspective on life? Killer question, because it was the impetus to everything that's happened since. So my oldest daughter, seven years old, almost eight. And when she was around two years old, I mean, everything was great. I was a police lieutenant. It's making about $120,000 a year. Uh, pretty good for my age at that time. So I was probably around 32, 33 years old. Uh, everything was looking great. Uh, beautiful wife, lovely wife, uh, who I'm still married to now, Stephanie. And we've been together 17 years. So you got to do the math. Of how Maybe we were married at that point around, let's say, two years. And so everything's great. But then fast forward where uh, my oldest is around two years old. We have our second born, Alora, And I want to say she's around six months old. And it was a really pivotal moment in my life where, long story short, I basically I'm looking at my bank account and I'm looking at the bills that are due. And we didn't really live above our means. But, but I think part of it was we had a, a decision to make that we all do at some point. I think, does the wife work or does she stay at home with the kids? And we made the decision early on that she would stay home with the kids. And she did a wonderful job at that. So I was the sole breadwinner. But even making 120000 plus a year wasn't really bringing home enough bacon, if you will. We, we didn't live beyond our means. We had you know, a, a three-two bedroom. But living in South Florida at the time and still now, very expensive. And so, again, long story short, I was just looking at the bank account. And I said to my wife, I remember – Clearly, we're in the front yard playing with the kids. My day off, I said, I don't think we're going to make this month's mortgage. In fact, I know we're not. Uh, this, And then it's just going to be downhill from there. And so I had been thinking about it. And even though it was upsetting, I wasn't stressed because I've always been a hard worker. And I, I basically came to her with a game plan. Like I already had the conversation mapped out. I'm like, look, this is not ideal. We're going to get through this. But it's really how are we going to get through this? I still want you to stay home with the kids. But we have options in front of us. I've already, I was like staying up at night thinking about it. I can either double down at work and start picking up all those off duty jobs or extra duty jobs, as they call them. And it would be kind of a vicious cycle because that's exactly what I grew up with. I did not see my father a lot growing up. And he's an amazing father. He was a police officer, but he was the guy working 60, 70, 80 plus hours a week working those extra duty jobs because there was four of us. I have three brothers. So with four kids in the house, it was just, it was like uh, ships in, what do they say, ships in the night passing each other between my mom and my father going to work. There were times when they couldn't get a babysitter and I'd go to work with them. You know, uh, but my mom worked up in the dispatch, uh, dispatch area. So we would basically hang out with the dispatcher. So it was safe and all that. But anyways, I didn't want that for my kids. I didn't want where they never saw dad. And so I told my wife, I'm absolutely can do that. And that'll get us through through this. But for how long are we going to do this? How sustainable is that? I'll be working 60, 70, 80 hours a week just to maintain a decent living, right? That's option one. And I said, but what about an option two? Is there something I can do from home to make that same money? And that was the sole, that was the really big decision there. I just, if I can make the same money or do something from home, by the way, something that I'm passionate in that's 
different than just 80 hours a week of law enforcement doing security jobs and stuff. And so there was a couple options ahead of me. I, I was real big into cars. So like I could do a really badass car detailing, something I did when I was younger. I can open up a shop. Yeah, but then I'll be at the shop all the time. Okay, not that. Uh, can I do this? Can I do that? Long story short, we, we set it in on, you know, all those people that have been asked me to train their dogs. I'll take one. I can do that from home. And really, that's been all she wrote. We started with one, knocked it out of the park, and it spread like wildfire. All of my first customers those first couple of years was all 100% word of mouth. Uh, to this day, we've done zero paid advertising. I mean, the business is in a totally different realm right now. But back then, as a one-man show or a one-man, one-woman show, it's just one dog at a time. Then one turned into two, two turned into three and four. This is all run out of a single family home. And we really became like, we, we were at capacity. And so the business was doing great on this at the same time, literally starting with dog one, we started doing social media. And I mean, like bare bones, basic, like get your phone, no microphone, no lighting filming in our backyard. Hey, this is how we train dogs. I don't even know what possessed me to do that, but it's been an amazing gift. And so we got, then we went from a cell phone to a GoPro, from a GoPro to a mic. But the social media story is, is, goes right along with the uh, dog training story, which of course the whole impetus behind it was just what's going to be best for my family. And so fast track, uh, by the way, four years into this, and it went by like that, three or four years in, social media is growing. Our boarding and training is growing. We're booking out three, four, five months in advance. We have a couple of viral videos. There was a day, one of the pivotal moments in our career or in the business where I think I had a hundred plus phone calls on my cell phone, just one after another, plus the tech, like literally my phone overheated and died just from the influx of calls because we had a viral video. And at the time I went from like going from a small business to a growing business or my, my business phone number was my cell phone. And so we had people literally all over the world calling us. Can you train my dog? I saw that video where you did this thing. And that started happening again and again. Every month or two, we'd have a viral or semi-viral video. I'm like, this is crazy, which it, it's just, it's been a whirlwind, you know? So we had to do a lot of changes. And then where it got crazy is while this is happening, right? We're becoming pretty strong social media presence, you know, from 10,000 followers. By the way, it takes like two or three years to get 10,000 followers. But once you get 10 then it's even a faster track to 100. And that's where we are at that point, right? I know I'm talking in circles here, but at one point when we we're around 10,000 followers, it's around that point where we've kind of outgrown the small home we lived in. And so we upgraded to a property with one acre. Getting one acre down in South Florida is like a dream come true for us. And it was this dream house for me and my family. And now my girls are probably like, let's say five and two around that, like five and three and taking on more dogs, hiring staff, uh, instead of four dogs at a time, we got up to six and eight dogs at a time. Now we're training other trainers to take our overflow. While at the same time, I'm still a police lieutenant. Now I'm over the uh, gang unit, which is part criminal investigation. But all those criminal investigations led to search warrants and kicking down doors and car chases. Real high stakes stuff, buying guns off of career criminals, buying kilos of dope. And I was like, you want to talk about stretch thin? Because you know how it is starting a small business. I'm probably doing 68 hours a week just in the business. Plus the 40 hours a week, I wasn't sleeping. I'm kind of double dipping, if you will. I'm at work, but I'm handling a business call. And there actually came a point in time, really pivotal moment, where I had to make a huge decision. One of the most agonizing decisions I, I, I've ever made in my life. I'm about 18 and a half years in, and I could retire at 
at 22 years. So I'm around three and a half years away from a retirement, a decent retirement. But the business is like, it's just crazy, you know? And so I had to make a decision. Okay, can I do both? Can I stick it out for three and a half more years? And I knew in my gut, like I can do it, but what's that going to do to my family? What's it been doing to my family? You know, just burning the candle, not at both ends, just at all ends. And the business needed me. My family needed me. And of course, my career needed me. And so that pivotal moment, one of them is I'm sitting at my desk at work and my team is going out to do a pretty serious kilo deal, right? With federal agents. It's just, it's a long-term case we're working. And I'm, for those types of cases and those types of um, investigations, but specifically that, op a type of operation like that, where we could get ripped off and it could turn into a shooting and all kinds of stuff. I got to be there. I'm the commander of the unit. I'm in charge of this whole thing. And they're like, hey, LT, you remember that that, that case we're working on? And I'm like, uh, yeah, which one again? Because there's so many. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, we're going to do the deal now. Multi-kilo deal or whatever it was. And I'm like, and, and I'm on the phone with a client and I'm working on my website at the same time. And I'm like, uh, I, by the way, at this point, we're starting to charge a pretty good premium for our boarding and training. So at this time, it's probably like a $10,000 $10, deal I have on the phone. Man, you're in charge, man. You're squared away. You got it. Call me if you need me. You know, and I felt horrible saying that, but I'm like, what's more important at this point? And, and you know, the, this deal for my business, which in turn is important for my family. Or do I need to be out there with those guys? Mind you, I have the radio, but it's no excuse. It's not fair. It's not fair for them. It's not fair for anybody. And so these were the issues that were happening and happening more and more. And so I had a business coach at the time. And let me tell you, I agonized over this decision for six months. But long story short, I made the decision to quit. I quit police work. I walked away after 18 and a half years and in a sense, like threw away a retirement. Very risky because it's about a about flush three and a half million dollars down the toilet with that decision. You know, that's the money I would make if I lived to like 85 and all that, you know, and I walked away from that to focus solely on my business and my family. And it's been the best decision I ever made uh, at the time. I'm like, uh, and, and, and I probably was anxious for like the first 24, 48 hours after I did that. And then it's just, I don't even look back now. And those coaches and friends of mine and other entrepreneurs who were kind of helping me along the way, because we had such just the best customers who were also to afford our services, just very wealthy folks, very, you know, have done well in life, business owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs, whatever. And they were like, Eric, this is a no brainer. I can't make the decision for you, but come on, man, you can walk away from police work. I'm like, no, that's all I know. That's all my family's done. And of course my family who are now since retired from law enforcement are like, no, Garrett, you need to stick it out because look at us. And I'm like looking at them and they're happy and they're retired. But I'm also looking at guys who are multi, multi-millionaires like, hey, look at us. So it was tough. But anyways, um, it's been killer. You know, the businesses continue to grow and uh, it's not to brag or anything. It's just for whatever it's worth for the fathers out there. It ain't easy. But ultimately, what always helped guide me, if you will, as the North Star was like, what's the best for my family? But that's not always an easy answer because maybe sticking it out for three and a half more years and getting a, a full pension retirement would be best for my family. It, but really time, time is the one thing you just can't buy back. And that's really what guided the decision. What's going to allow me to spend more time with my family. And, and it's worked out so far.
Yeah, well, it's an amazing story, Gary. And two points on what you're saying there. Uh, and I agree with you. Like my wife and I, we had to make that decision on whether or not she was going to stay home with the kids or work. And my wife stayed at home as well. And it worked out great for us. And the other part is, you know, a lot of people say, and by the way, stay at home moms don't get nearly enough credit mm -hmm. as they deserve because everyone always kind of like, oh, that's all she does. Like, I can't stand that, that bad, um, you know, the way that they're looked at. But anyway, the other point is, too, a lot of people, a lot of the young men that I talk to, you know, about fatherhood and they'll say one of their reasons for not wanting to have kids is I won't be able to afford it. I can barely afford myself. Um, you know, so they have that mindset, but I always try to say, just like you pointed out there, what your job is, is that kids become like these money makers in a sense, because they give you an incentive and a drive that you've never had before. And they give you that ability to take some risks you might not have because you're trying to do it for them. So I think the mindset of thinking, you know, kids are too expensive is, is reversed. I think in a sense, when you have them all of a sudden, it gives you this extra fire like that you've never had before to bring in as much income as possible for your family. And I think a lot of people miss that point. A hundred percent. You're absolutely 110% correct. And you won't know till it happens to you. But when it happens, it, it is a drive like no other. It changes everything. Uh, even how I, how I conducted myself in police work, you know, slowing down that little bit, you know, and being a lot safer. Uh, I used to be a wild man as a police officer, like in a good way, just kicking ass and taking names and just taking risks that, you know, now that I'm 40 years old and I have kids and you get a little older and a little wiser and you break enough bones and you hurt yourself, you learn to slow down, but in a good way, you know, and, and I always preach that because I still have a lot of friends in law enforcement and I try to sit there and remind them like, man, and I feel bad too, because I'll be on the call with them. We're just talking whatever. And in the background, you hear the call go out and it's, Hey Garrett, I got to go, man. It's, it's a hot call. And I'm like, man, please be safe, bro. You know, you got kids, be, be safe, man. Call me when you're done. Like I'm a father yeah. and it's just my best friend that I have to worry about out there on the street. So, yeah, I always, always done nothing but respect for the law enforcement we have in our country. I know we wouldn't stand the chance at all out here if it wasn't for you and you know, your brothers and sisters uh, in blue. So uh, th thank you for what you have, what you do and continue to do it. And you know what? You, there's uh, according to this, I know the estimates could be higher or low, but there's 65 million households that own a dog in America here, uh, according to some of these estimates. So, so you're right there. The market for what you're doing is huge. And I know yeah. right now, you know, we just passed, you know, the holidays. A lot of families just got new dogs into the house. Mm. So what what is it? What is it your 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 best advice to these families that just got a dog or ones that are considering to get a dog and bring it into the house? What's your what's your go to piece of advice for that family? Yeah, great question. So uh, for sure, people are constantly buying puppies, especially after the holidays. So when it really comes to puppies, there's three things we really want to focus on. Yes, you want to start training day one. And the first thing we want to knock out of the park is potty training. If you can't get that potty training done, like I said, nobody cares if your puppy will come and sit in the kitchen for a treat or roll over and play dead. If it's pooping and peeing all over your house, that's not sustainable. And so many dogs end up getting uh, put up for adoption and they don't get adopted right in these shelters. And one of the biggest reasons is potty training. If done correctly, you can potty train your puppy in as little as 48 hours. And if done incorrectly, it could take you months and months and months of heartache and just ripping up your carpet and just hating life. The sooner you get it done, the better. Uh, we actually have courses on that exactly because it's, once we get that potty train out of the way in 48 hours, now the sky's the limit. The next thing that kind of goes in, in line with potty training is crate training. Now, crate training is a little controversial because people think, well, why did you get a puppy if it's going to be in a crate all the time, well, it's like, what do you do with your infant at night? You put it in a crib, you know, and then we, you can't keep, especially a lot of families, 
uh, you are already dealing with your one, two, three, four-year-old. You got a toddler that you're dealing with. Well, who's keeping an eye on the puppy? I promise you that if you don't have your eyes on your puppy, right? Your puppy's out of the crate, it's wandering around your house. If you've lost contact with that puppy for five or 10 minutes, which happens in like, as soon as you let it out, it's gone. You're not going to come into the other room and see it rehearsing and practicing sits and downs and recalls. It It is going to be chewing something, peeing, pooping, tearing up your clothes. It's not going to be doing anything good. So we, if you can't monitor your puppy, then you ha they need sleep and rest too. And the best place for them to get sleep and rest is in a cave-like environment, which is a crate. By the way, even if you don't ever plan to crate the puppy when it's older, you're going to potentially board it. You're going to take it to a vet facility. You may fly or travel with it in a car. Or otherwise, you might go to a hotel and you're going to have to crate it in those instances. And if you haven't prepped your puppy at a young age to like the crate, they're going to hate the crate and it's going to be it's going to be horrible for them and for you with the barking and the craziness. And they're going to try to break out of it. They're going to break a tooth. They can get hung up. Dogs get killed trying to escape from crates. If you teach crate training properly at a very young age in like just a few sessions, you can take them from hating it and being scared of the crate to loving it. Now, you know, you've done it right because all of my dogs are crate trained. All of my clients dogs are crate trained. We have the crate, but it's like their bed. You leave the door open. You come back. You come home, they got the whole house that they could be in. You know where they're hanging out? In their crate on their bed. It's their little bedroom. It's their little getaway spot. So crate training is essential. By the way, you can't really potty train without crate training. So they go hand in hand. And the third most important thing, socialization slash environmentals. You got to get that puppy out around. Now, this is where people get this all screwed up. They think their puppy needs to socialize socialization with other dogs. No, your puppy needs to socialize with you, your family, and other humans i'm not saying they can't hang out with other dogs but one of the one things that people screw up royally and if they walk away with one piece of advice and this people are going to hate me or love me for this never ever ever take your puppy or adult dog to a dog park never it's not worth it and the reason for that is the best way i can explain this is going to sound super extreme taking your puppy your puppy eight ten twelve weeks old to a dog park it's like taking your three, four, five, six-year-old, eight-year-old child to a correctional facility's uh, playground. What do they call that? The rec yard? The bed. Right. Now, why is that? Well, you got your eight, 10, 12-week-old innocent puppy. What's in the dog park? You can have two, three, four-year-old fully mature dogs with horrible upraise. Some people will adopt a dog two, two, three years old with unknown history. And you know what they want to do? They want to socialize it also. So they bring it to a dog park. And now my other way of explaining this is hang out at a dog park for 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes. You will see a dog fight. You will. It's just a matter of how bad dogs get killed in dog parks every day from unknowing people who think they need to socialize their dog. You know who your dog needs to socialize with? You. You play with it. Take it on a walk. Throw the ball. I'm not saying they can't meet other dogs, but they can meet like one other dog and you know how well that dog is and they can romp around in the backyard. When you go to a dog park, you could be dealing with 20, 30, 40 dogs. You don't know their background. You don't know if they have diseases. Speaking of diseases, the dog park's nothing but pee and poop all over the place. You can't bring a puppy there. They're going to catch something. Our police dogs are super well socialized. So much so that when they see another dog, they, they're not scared of it. And they don't go crazy like I have to play with it. They're just like they see another dog just like you see another human walking down the street. You might acknowledge them. You might not. You don't need to run over there and shake their hand or sniff their butt. It's just a person. It's nothing. And so we see a lot of dogs that lack socialization with humans. And then that's where kids get bit. 
right? So anyway, socialization is more about humans. And then the last piece, environmentals. If you wait until your dog is a year old before you take them out in public and they see a garbage truck coming down the street and they've never seen one before, they're going to think it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex coming to kill them. So dogs, when they're younger, they're very, uh, they have neuroplasticity. They're open to new experiences, but the older they get, that window starts to shut. And if you don't have them socialized or environmentalized around anywhere between six to 12 months old, that window is closed. And whatever, if, if they haven't seen some of these things, like we've had dogs that have never been because they first four months of their life, they were locked up in a room and you bring them out. That's like locking a kid up to their 12 years old before they see sunlight. And so we've had dogs you take by, uh, like a store with the automatic doors. They see an automatic door. They think something's trying to kill them. It's the boogeyman. So you got to get those puppies out. And yes, you, if you ask a vet, they'll say, don't take your dog anywhere till it's fully vaccinated, which is not till they're four, five, six months old. Your dog's not going to pick up a disease in the, in the, in the, in the mall, you know, like you bring your infant child to the mall. Maybe you bring your one or two year old. Uh, my point being, you got to get those. That's why you don't take them to a dog park. Don't take them places. Where there's a bunch of pee and poop, but take them places like uh, you're going to go to. Uh, we have a lot of breweries around here. Bring your puppy to a brewery. Let people pet it. Let people feed it. Let them be cool with the sights, sounds and smells. And even if you can't do that, just one more little tip for you. When they're sleeping at night, put on the TV, put on, um, put on cops. Let them hear sirens. Let them go to sleep to the soothing sounds of New York City. So if you ever take your dog to New York City, it's not the first time they've heard a cab driver yell at someone. They heard it when they were sleeping or eating. So a little little side bonus tip there. Yeah, I, I love all that, Gary. That's great, great information. But one thing I got to ask you here now, one of the things for many dads out there, especially when, when the kids are haunting for the dog, that I want the dog, I want the dog. Or I think I, I guess every parent or father says this, they, they have this philosophy of we're going to get the dog. You're going to love the dog. You're going to want to play with the dog, take it out. And then all of a sudden, two months from now, it's going to be dad that's going to be out there walking the dog, cleaning up all the poop, cleaning up the pee, yeah. and you're going to lose interest and drop it like a wet towel. So what is the best way to keep kids? Obviously, the uh, interest level is high when they first get the puppy. Yeah. They, they want everything to do with it. It's, it's like a new toy, right? And then all of a sudden, that interest kind of dies out. What is something that the parents can do to keep that kid engaged and want to take the responsibility of taking that dog out for the walks, cleaning up the poop, and being responsible with that puppy after that kind of a honeymoon period wears off? That's a great question, you know, and I haven't experienced that because my kids have just been wonderful. It's the family business. We have our own personal dogs. <laughs> and we have dogs coming in. And so, but maybe I can either speak great to this point or horrible at this point. I think I'm lucky, but... My kids help me train. They help me pick up poop, but I I gamify it. You know, I'll say, "Hey, who can pick?" <laughs> we got those little like little electric four wheelers, and with a, one has a, a like a cart on the back, and I'm like, "All right, who can pick up more poop? Whoever picks up more poop wins." You know, can pick the movie tonight, stuff like that. So gamify it, make it fun, do it as a do as a team, and I think praise goes a long way. And now, I, like my seven year old, she's in some of my videos. My five-year-olds in videos, we've had super viral videos. You know the videos that go viral? My five and my seven-year-old training, right? Working my already trained dog, but looking like a pro. But they do it because they just watch me do it all the time. And then they ask, daddy, can I help? Try not shun away your kids from helping. But maybe the answer is set the example. You know, be, be out there picking up poop, but have them do it with you. Uh, try not make it a chore. But hey, then ultimately, sometimes dads, we have to do that hard part where it's like, you know what? I know you don't want to do it. 
But before you go play with Johnny down the street, you got to pick up the poop, you know, and make it part of their chores. Give them some type of uh, transaction for that. Hey, you get the gold star, you get the candy, you get the five bucks, whatever it is. So, you know, you try to make them love it and sometimes you got to make them do it and then they'll learn to love it or whatever. They learn how to work hard. Something good will come out of it. Well, I'm sure too. Like uh, this question is probably asked to you all the time. But what is what is the best dog as far as, or sh- I should rephrase that and say, what is the easiest dog for a family to train or housebreak? What, and what is the most difficult one? What is the one like you know, if a family just wants that pet, they don't want to have to invest so much of their life into yeah. training this thing. What is the easiest play, and what's the most difficult? Man, that is a super loaded question. It's a great question, but loaded because, you know, it's just I'm in the dog community and you want to talk about this breed, which is better. Right. <laughs> it's crazy, but it's it's so there's general. I'll try my best. Your initial thought would be golden retriever, Labrador retriever. And I don't think you're wrong. G- generally speaking, genetically speaking, those dogs are pretty friendly. They're outgoing. They make great family dogs. They really do. But that doesn't mean you can't have the golden retriever who, by the way, like if you were to describe one. Just crazy social drive. Like they just want to lick everybody and their mom. That doesn't mean though you don't get a golden retriever. That could be a complete a-hole and it's just super dog aggressive, food aggressive. We've got to watch out for that when it comes to the little ones. A lot of kids get bit when they come over and pet a dog that's chewing on a bone or eating. And I'm not saying your kids shouldn't do that, but we got to watch that. But more importantly, got to train the dog so it knows to accept that. And so it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's not the breed so much. It's how you raise them. It really is how you raise them. Uh, but what we're seeing a lot nowadays, and I don't know if it's because of the political climate and, and crime and, and things going on, a ton of people are really choosing over the Golden Retriever. They're looking at breeds like the Italian Mastiff, the Cane Corso, I own three, one of our specialty breeds that we train, uh, Working Line German Shepherds, Dobermans, um, Presa Canarios, really powerhouse breeds. Power breeds is what we call them. We got to take extra extra special caution because those dogs and this is not to scare people it's just to give you a real healthy dose of reality they cannot only cause serious injury they can absolutely and they have killed humans in the past children included training is what it's all about so i i I guess i'll answer it this way breed doesn't matter as much as training and there's and you know where this is a huge one this really hits the nail on the head. One of the most popular dog breeds to come around in the last, I'd say, five to ten years, but definitely the last two or three, Belgian Malinois. Everybody and their mom is going out there buying a Belgian Malinois. Ten years ago, you probably wouldn't know what it is. Now, do you know what it is, right? I'm assuming. You've yeah. seen them. You know what it is? Yep. Yeah. And everyone got one because the police and special forces get them. And they assume that these dogs just come out of the box, come out of the womb, <laughs> fully trained. It couldn't be further from the truth. These dogs are absolute wild animals and they have a thousand twelve hundred horsepower engines. And it's like, what are you going to do with that when you bring it home? It is not typically it does not make a great family pet. Can it? Yes. But they're they're like the Energizer bunny on crack, man. They are just it's a lot of dog. So because you said, like, what's an easier dog to train? It doesn't really exist. You got to put in the work, no matter if you're getting a golden retriever or a Labrador or a Presa Canaria or a Belgian Malinois, you got to put in the work. Um, I think what we should be looking at more so is like, what's your lifestyle? Are you the type of family that goes out four wheeling and, and running and you do marathons and you guys are outside all the time? Then you might lean towards a dog that has a little bit more of a of a working line pedigree, like they just got a lot of energy. If you guys are super lazy and your typical Saturday looks like grilling in the backyard and, and watching Netflix on TV, then maybe you want to consider something like an English Mastiff. And I only bring that up because this is just lazy dogs. 
They don't want to run a marathon with you. The Belgian Malinois does. The English Mastiff wants to hang out on the couch. So I think look at it more like that, like how much drive, how much energy, and then that'll narrow your focus. And then go with the one that, you know, the family agrees on, but regard you have to train that dog. If you don't train it, it if you a well-trained dog could be the best thing your family ever had. A uh, untrained dog is an absolute worst nightmare, meaning you already had a bad day at work. You already got a lot of stress. The last thing you want to come home to is your dog chewed your favorite pair of shoes or it ran off. It bit the neighbor's kid. It's just going to cause problems for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right on about that. I, I, I've done a few interviews with uh, Mike Ritland, who is the Navy mm-hmm. SEAL. He trains all the canines and, and the, the, the interest in those dogs has skyrocketed. There's no doubt about it. Um, well, all right. So what is next for you here? Any kind of promotions coming up for you? Where do the people go to find you? And uh, what's next here uh, for the American Standard? Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So you can find us anywhere on social media. We're pretty big on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. We're a little bit big everywhere. Uh, American Standard Dog Training. Tons of free tips. We're constantly giving out on those social platforms. If you want to dive in deeper and we say you want to train your dog to be the best that it can be, you can check us out at DIYK9.com. That's where we help you train your dog to be the best it can be. It's the best way to train your dog on your time at a much better budget and you are seeing how we train exactly. You're going to train your dogs the same exact way that we are training our $20,000 board and train clients. It's just, it's literally the dogs you're watching us train and we have great community and support the best in the industry, the best online courses. And again, our whole mission in life is to help get you and your dog across the finish line. And we have customers all over the world. So we're really proud of that. And what's next in store for us is that we are uh, launching what we're referring to internally as the Wing Academy. That's my last name, but it could be American Standard Dog Trainers Academy. Either way, we want to help folks kind of like the story I said earlier, who are at this dead end nine to five job. They're traveling. They never see their family. If you want to make great money and you want to do it from home and start a a family-run business, and you can become a millionaire doing this, training dogs, which is a lot of people's passion, you can turn your passion into a killer, killer, not just a job, uh, an amazing career, a family business, and we're already doing that. I have five certified trainers right now, um, and nothing warms my heart. I mean, I love helping people train their dogs, but when I can help them like quit their crap job and make great money, and love life and grow a business, man, that it's like warms my heart is not even uh, good enough. It's, it doesn't even begin to explain um, what that does for me. And so that's what we're doing next. And we want to start building up those trainers, whether they want to do it on their own or whether they want to be part of our, you could call it a franchise if you will, but become a gold certified American standard dog trainer. And we send business to you and we help promote your business and we get you off the ground uh, faster than you can do it on your own. Either way, it's a win-win so that we can just continue to help folks who maybe don't want to do it themselves. Well, I'm going to have a trainer for you in your city that will, that will be able to train your dog to, to a level beyond your expectations. So yeah, th- that's what it's all about for us. Really, really inspiring stuff, Garrett. I love the energy. I love the hustle. So props to you for all your success. Well-deserved. And the last thing, and the links to everything you just mentioned will be down below in the description of the podcast episode so my listeners can go there, check it out. Uh, Last thing I want to hit you with here, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Wow, that's a heavy one. I think the first thing that comes to mind, and you cannot go wrong with this, you got to be the right role model. You know, if you're not doing things right and you're not living your best life or at least striving, you know, every day with the hustle, right? Like I like that term. How can you, how can you, how can you help someone else? You got to help yourself first and and you got to follow your dreams and you got to have something that you're passionate about so that you can be something that's inspirational to your child. You know, I think that's it. Because if you can't get yourself right, 
then how are you going to help anybody else? So that, I think that's where it starts and that's where it ends, to be honest with you. And so I, I strive every day to do that. And it's, it's, it's a struggle, but you, you just got to keep grinding. Yeah, well said. I love the message. Uh, this has been a lot of fun for me. I got to say, Garrett Wing, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Alec Lace has interviewed more than 700 dads on his award-winning podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Dads from all walks of life, including Tom Brady, Deion Sanders, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tony Hawk, Eric Trump, and so many more. Find out why First Class Fatherhood has been number one on the iTunes charts. Who these men are as fathers and how they raise their children is far more important than anything they accomplish in their careers. Alec Lace encourages his high-profile guests to share their fatherhood journeys and offer advice to new and soon-to-be dads. Let every father in your contact list know about First Class Fatherhood. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Every day is Father's Day on First Class Fatherhood.